You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. How many of you are from a snowy, cold kind of environment? And that's what you're, you grew up as a child with that kind of a Christmas. Um, it can be a little... Um, kind of a juxtaposition of things here in Florida during Christmas time that just feels kind of odd, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, The Christmas I grew up with was always one where it was cold, long, dark nights, snow, hot chocolate, cold feet, bundling up and snuggling by a fire, none of which, by the way, has anything to do with the original Christmas any more than Frosty or Olaf or Rudolph, okay? (laughs) None of that. And yet we associate all this stuff with Christmas. Um, And one of my favorite Christmas carols, it goes, In a bleak midwinter, frosty wind and cold. None of which that first line, can we be sure, was true of the first Christmas. Was it in winter? We don't know. In fact, we think probably with the shepherds on the hills, uh, with the sheep, according to Luke 2, might have been springtime. Because that's when the hills were the greenest in um, Palestine and Israel. And um, frosty wind and cold. Bethlehem didn't get a lot of frost or cold. Um, And so I still love the carol. We'll sing it. It's got a great message in the end. You just have to realize what you have to separate out. And so we're looking at fact at how Christmas is more a little fitting in with the climate and culture of Florida than you'd ever imagine the real one. And we're going to be looking at a Florida Christmas today. The text that we're looking at, and the whole message is going to be on palm trees and promises, okay? Because you can find palm trees in the Bible a lot more in the promises of God than you can anything else. And of all things, we're going to be reading from the book of Leviticus. I've never preached on the book of Leviticus. Have you read the book of Leviticus? You have. Good for you. It's a tough one to get through. It is tough. It's full with a lot of rituals and laws and things, right? But there are some great messages in it, and I'm learning more as I'm growing uh, to understand what's going on. And hopefully today we will be looking at the festival called Sukkoth, or tabernacles, or booths, or I think it should be camping. Let's go camping, because that's really what was going on. So Leviticus 23 on the 15th day of the seventh month. Now, you will notice a lot of sevens in this text. When you have gathered in the produce of your land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. And on the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day, another seven, shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. It is a statute forever through your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." 
That word booth that's translated here in the ESV is the word sukkoth in uh, Hebrew, which means either a kind of a tent-like structure with, and here, uh, branches on the top kind of as a roof for that structure. So what is it? You may have never heard of this festival before because, well, we're immersed not so much in the story of the Bible as much as in the story of today and modernity. You probably know more about the Beatles than the Beatitudes, okay? <laughs> I understand. And I have a feeling there's a few people here who quote more Sway, uh, Taylor Swift lyrics than Psalms right now. Maybe, maybe not. No good for you. <laughs> Do we have any Swifties here? It's OK if you are. It's not, 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 not terrible. But you, you are Swifties? I'll, I'll tell you this, though. She's not the Messiah, OK? Let's just get this. I mean, people scrambling over the tickets for the Tampa concerts. Oh my gosh, you can't believe some of the students and how they were just so focused on that for days. But anyways, getting, what? Carrie Underwood. Oh, my goodness. OK. So, Sukkoth. It's, did you know this? It is the seventh of seven festivals that in the, uh, the Jewish year that we're supposed to be celebrated. It's celebrated in the seventh month, and it lasts seven days. Hmm. And each family in Israel was to make a tent, more or less, with a canopy of palm branches, maybe a few others on the, the, uh, on the time. And then they were supposed to camp out for seven days to remind them how God had tented with them, tabernacled with them, been present with them, and provided, in a sense, a little Eden, a little garden, even in the midst of the desert for those 40 years, and how he was present with them. So Israel would go back and look back, and then Israel would look forward, and then Israel wouldn't settle. That's what Sukkoth is more or less about. And we're going to go through those three points today and see how it ties in with a Florida Christmas, okay? So first of all, look back. So God says to Moses in uh, Leviticus 23, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations, and here's the point, he says, why? That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. They were to journey to provide, even after they settled in the land, they had houses, they had plenty of places to sleep that were much more comfortable than tenting out. They were called every year in the seventh month for seven days for the seventh celebration of the year to tent and to recognize and to look back at how God had provided a place, a dwelling for them in the wilderness. Israel, in a sense, was always called to remember, to recall, to look back. There were always stories in the Bible are not just, by the way, just straightforward history. And I know when you read Leviticus, it's like, what is this all about? It really does apply to today. We are to learn from the past. We are to reflect on the past in order to live in, the, in today. Any, any history majors here by any chance? We study history, yes, yeah. We study history not to just study facts and figures. We study history to learn from it, I hope, right? Yes. Have you learned anything so far, Matt? Uh, no, so let me just 
Okay, yeah. He's got one of my classes. Has he learned anything in that? Not so much, but you know. You gotta have a better teacher, right? Yeah. So reflections is really important. And um, even, you might go, well, that was the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. So I don't really need to learn that stuff. Ah, but God did not just have those stories there just to talk about what happened to those people at that time. In fact, often again and again, throughout the history of the Old Testament, God would say, remember that I brought you. We, we all came up out of Egypt. We all went through the wilderness. We all. There's an identity to how that story is my history as well and my narrative. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, talking to Corinthians, who are mostly not from a Jewish background, would still tell them, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did because the history of the children of Israel in the wilderness, if you read it, not so much. <laughs> not so much about um, how faithful they were or how great they were. In fact, you cannot read the history of God's people and find, oh yeah, they were so wonderful and so great and so... they. They complained, they whined, they griped, they moaned. You've heard maybe the definition of crazy before, right? That is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's kind of the narrative of um, the book of Numbers and even Leviticus. Doing things over and over again, and each time they're tested in the wilderness and they complain and they whine and they gripe and they moan and expecting different results. I, I'm wondering how many times you haven't said to yourself, again? I did that again? Am I still thinking like this? What's going on? It's so hard for us to learn. And you've probably heard that, um, well, I like what, how Theodore Reich puts it. He said, it has been said that history repeats itself. This is perhaps not quite correct. It merely rhymes. <laughs> OK. In, in other words, it's similar to but not quite the same as each time around. And that, I think, is the question we have to ask today when we look at uh, Sukkoth. As an example, God is trying to teach his people, and I think us, to look back and to learn. Reflection is such an important part of learning. I think, Vicki, you know that, right? If you don't reflect, if you don't like journal, if you don't think through just what you went through, you don't learn anything. And so often, even in college, um, we want an education, sort of. What we really want is the grade. And so we just, you know, the, I just want to regurgitate on this exam what I need and then forget it <laughs> and move on to the next thing. I understand this is kind of our survival strategy. But in the church, God's people, we are to recall, remember, look back reflect to see that Sukkoth was a time when we could learn two things. God's providence and faithfulness, how he has a little Eden for us even in the middle of the desert, and our foolishness and our waywardness, and that God still carried us through that wilderness and God still was faithful to us. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, just like we sang. 
So I would encourage you now, during this Florida Christmas, to look back. Okay? Look back. Look back and learn how God has brought you to this place at this point in time. Now, it might take you not, you don't necessarily have to camp out for seven days with palm branches in your backyard, um, you know, with the no-seums and everything, but uh, no, but you can take time to look back and reflect. I'd encourage you to take time to maybe even journal about it and just say, okay, Lord, what have you taught me this year? How have you taught me to this point? What do I need to learn from all the mistakes I've made, but also the goodness that you have given me in this life? Maybe take time as a family to sit around and reflect on this. Maybe um, write it out, pray it out, um, celebrate it. Every year, Israel did this for seven days. Look back. And then they would look forward. So seven. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of sevens. Oh, they're all over the place in the book of Leviticus, especially with Sukkoth. So this is the seventh celebration in the seventh month, for the, and it's the third seven in the month. It's the third times seven, so the first 14 days of the month. And then the third seven is Sukkoth in that month. And it was a time that they tented. It's a time where they saw that this place was a journey through the wilderness, that this is not home. We're not quite there yet. They were reminded of how temporary things are. Now, some of you have gone through horrendous uh, situations um, this September, October with Ian. Um, I can't imagine. And yet, it just shows you how much even our, quote, homes are not necessarily permanent. We're still on a journey. We've got something to look forward to. Uh, Jürgen Moltmann uh, said it this way, every text in the Bible narrates the past in order to announce the future. This whole celebration of seven days was to point to a future Sabbath where God would not just temporarily, for a moment in time, be with his people. But God's whole intent is to be at home with us and we with him. You know, in later years in Jerusalem, by the way, Sukkoth was still celebrated at the time that they had a temple, the Temple of Solomon, and the whole city and places to live. And during that seven-day celebration on the last day, the priest would go out and lead a parade outside of the water gate out of the temple to the pool of Siloam. And there he would take a golden pitcher and bring up a whole uh, pitcher full of water, and then with musicians in tow and big celebrations, they would gather that water, bring it back into the temple, and pour that water all over the, the altar of sacrifice. And then he would say, please, O Lord, Hosanna, God save us, hear our prayers. And then prayers would be recited, and the Psalms would be read, and the message of the people would be, 
from the priest, most likely, that look at how God's glory dwelt with us in tents and in tabernacles and how he was with us through the wilderness. And even in this absolute temple, Solomon's temple right here, do you know when it was dedicated, by the way? On Sukkoth. And God's glory filled the temple. No wonder in John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem on the last day of the feast of Sukkoth, and he cries out. On the last day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said by the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is saying, you, this temporary event, even this temple, the water, the palm branches, the dwelling of God with men, I am your Sukkoth. I am the tabernacle. I am the one that is among you, and I'm pointing forward to a time when the Holy Spirit will so be upon his people that they will be immersed into the glory of God forever. So Jesus fills up the whole celebration that pointed forward to a day when it wasn't just a few days here and there, a temporary uh, shelter, but a time where God would be at home with us and we with him. And that's why I think in the Gospel of John, one of the verses that is used often in Christmas is John 1.14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled. That's the word there. I know it says dwelt in our translations, but it's the word for that skene, that tent, that tabernacle, how God would come and tent with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So God's whole purpose, Christmas is not about, oh, Jesus comes to create a sin forgiveness factory called church. That's not what he does. God's full purpose from the beginning in Eden that got thwarted by Adam and Eve and the rest of us and through the wilderness when God wanted to be with his people and they kind of went off and whatever. God's whole purpose, God's whole intent is that one day what happens at Christmas becomes the reality that God is at home with us and we are at home in him. And he brings about an entire celebration and flourishing in a beautiful garden city called eternity. A truly material presence, as Revelation talks about. A world uh, where heaven and earth come together in a beautiful marriage, all because of what God has done by coming to dwell among us. You know, the manger that Jesus is uh, placed in is, is a great metaphor for just how well he was welcomed into this world, right? There was no place for him properly, so he is placed in a manger. And later on in his life, the one who is God's presence among us would be pushed out of this world by his own people, by us, the religious and the governmental 
officials of the day, everybody who wanted power and didn't want God to interfere with it, upon a cross. And there Jesus would not have the glory of God, but it would be taken away from him and he's abandoned and alone with no place, all for the sake of being able to dwell with you one day in fullness. That's Christmas. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Dave Barry. Pretty funny guy. Um, works for the Miami Herald. He wrote in his notes from Western Civilization about his children's winter program. They wouldn't call it a Christmas program anymore. And uh, he says this, to avoid offending anybody, the school dropped religion altogether and started singing about the weather. At my son's school, they now hold a winter program in February and sing increasingly non-memorable songs such as Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, and this is a real song, Susie Snowflake. All of which is pretty funny because we live in Miami. A visitor from another planet would assume that the children belong to the Church of Meteorology. But that's kind of how Christmas has just gotten all these accretions and things on top of it about winter and candy and presents and trees and lights and holly and cold and snow when it was really all about God's desire to come and dwell within you and not just temporarily here and there, but finally fully to bring you into his kingdom and to dwell with you forever. That's something to look forward to. And so we look back to learn. We look forward to the hope that we have. And that means right now, don't settle. Um, last year, I started a class January called Religion and Politics in America. What was amazing to me about the class, and the students also were amazed by it, how often different groups came to the United States and settled. <laughs> they settled, and then they looked at the United States as the new Jerusalem. And so they started to create it and in their own image of what they wanted and settled down in it and said, this is it. And every time they said, this is it, whether it was some um, odd utopian community like the Koreshans over here, you know, close to us, or any other group that settled and said, this is it, it also became disastrous for some people or other Violence broke out at times, genocide happened, all sorts of crazy things because we thought this is it. And we settled for it. And Sukkoth says, don't settle for this the way it is. Sukkoth declares that we are on a journey. Just like the children of Israel through the wilderness, we are traveling and we're going somewhere and we haven't reached it yet, so don't settle down and think this is it and put all everything into this world and invest yourself as this is the end all and be all. Now I'm so dating myself. There was a song by Peggy Lee. I think she was before my time, wasn't she? Maybe... But she, wrote, uh, she sang a song, and I think so sad, <laughs> I think it's prophetic in some ways. She's saying, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. I think a lot of people have said, this is all there is. And look around. This is the time of the year. You break out the booze and have a ball. 
And so often that isn't even happiness anymore. It's just anesthetizing in order to try to avoid the reality of we've settled for this is all we've got. And God does not settle for this. God has not settled for this kind of life forever for you. He has something so much better for your life than this world. And he calls us not to settle for this. Now, Stanley Hauerwas probably put it a lot better, much more theologically correct, I guess. And he said this, as a society of unbelief, Western culture is devoid of a sense of journey, of adventure, because it lacks belief in much more than the cultivation of an ever-shrinking horizon of self-preservation and self-expression. All we're looking for is to just get by and to have a good time. And God says, Sukkot is here to show you that this isn't it. You're on a journey. Don't settle. The book of Hebrews probably does one of the best uh, things about this uh, when it talks in Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. And it puts it this way, after naming a number of people who never got what they wanted but were still looking forward, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For they, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Don't settle as if this world is what you get. God has so much more for you. When God will finally come in glory and renew this earth, and wed heaven and earth together, and Jesus Christ will be Lord of all. A Florida Christmas is a bit different. I think it's a good thing. Not simply because I personally don't like cold and snow that much, but because everything that we've added on to it seems to detract us from the real message, which is to look back to see what God has done and how faithful he is in our lives to look forward to the whole purpose of why Jesus came was not simply to get sins forgiven, but to give us a home and to not settle or put everything into this life as if this is the end all and be all. No matter the condition you're in, no matter what you've experienced this year, no matter what you're going through now, you have an eternity before you with a God who is welcoming you into it and preparing it all for you, who has invested his entire life through his son, Jesus Christ, to make sure that happens. So let's look back, look forward, and not settle. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, thank you this day. Wow, Lord, um, we want to celebrate Christmas as you intended to be this year. Oh, sure, the lights, the shopping, the parties. Thank you for those too, Lord, but let, help us to see your true intent. And through this series, Lord, that we see your promises and how you have something for us so much greater than we can ever imagine, that you work exceeding and abundantly beyond all we could ask or think or ever anticipate. Help us, Lord God, to look back on our lives, 
to see your grace and your hand upon us. Even when we did not know you, you still loved us and wanted us and you drew us to yourself. And at the right time and in the right way, Lord, you opened us to you by your spirit and we heard the gospel and received it. Help us to look back, Lord, and learn from our mistakes, from our waywardness, to learn from the past of Israel as well and to give us wisdom so that we don't have to be forced into doing your will, but willingly follow you. Help us to look forward, Lord, to your intent, your hope, and your purpose that this world is not our end goal, that what we have right now is not what we need to invest our lives in, but for the eternity and to the people to make a difference for eternity, Lord, help us to do that and help us not to settle for what the world would offer us as the good life, but to know the life that you have for us is so much greater, Lord, and to keep looking towards you, to be on the journey with you, Lord, and to understand your goodness and grace. We pray, too, for people in our congregation, Lord, that are in that journey, struggling, Lord, in different ways. We're facing so many temporal situations right now, Lord. Uh, for those who are still recovering from Hurricane Ian, in fact, this whole area is going to recover for years, Lord. We pray that uh, you give them your peace and presence now on that portion of their journey. Help them to trust in you even more so. We pray for those who are facing illness and difficulties, Lord, that you would bring your healing presence to them, that they may trust in you, and that you work things out according to your will. For those who struggle at this time of the year, especially, Lord, where our expectations of perfection are so high, how we want to have a perfect Christmas, a wonderful Christmas, whatever, and the reality of some of the struggles and brokenness in our lives and our relationships are there, Lord. We pray that you, um, as you were with your children, Lord, in the wilderness, you'd be with, with us and bring a little Eden in the midst of our desert, Lord, right now. For all these things, Lord, we lift up to you. And as we go into a time where we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper and as we also go into a time of offering our tithes to you, Lord God. We just pray that you'd bless us all in the name of Jesus. Amen.